0: Jonathan kicked off our Christmas series last week, Angels We Have Heard on High, and and I have heard so many times over the years that people have told me, man, I would love for God to speak to me, kind of like he did did to people in the Bible way back in the day. I would love to have an angel come speak to me on behalf of God. I would love to be able to say, angels, I have heard on high, and sometimes those people want God to speak because really, honestly, they just don't feel like they're worthy and they think if God could speak to me, if he could just reach out to me, that it would, it would make me feel like maybe that I'm special, that I'm important, that I matter. I literally know people. I know people. I, I wish I could tell you all their stories of people who have said, I mean, if God were to show up in the, in the back seat, you know, like I'm on my way to work and if God could just show up in the back seat, and I thought, I don't think that'd be good. That'd be a little scary, wouldn't it? Ah, you know, you don't know, you know what to do, wreck, but God was with me, kind of thing. I know a fella that uh, he's a self-proclaimed atheist and he's looked at me and he said, you know, I wanna believe, I really do wanna believe. What I, need, what I need in order to believe is that God would speak to me, if he would show up, if he would speak to me the way that he spoke to people in the Bible, then maybe, maybe I would believe. But honestly, there are times in the Bible when God spoke through an angel to people, and you wonder, you just wonder, did you really want to hear what the angels had to say? There's usually accompanied by don't be afraid, right? And so don't be afraid, and sometimes the news was really good, and sometimes the news was extraordinarily heavy and difficult to bear. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, of course, they wanted to hear what God had to say. Well, in the midst of the Christmas story with uh, visitations from, from angels, we find this ordinary man, and I cannot emphasize ordinary man enough. He was an ordinary man. this man named Joseph, who did have a visit from an angel, he did hear from God, and an angel spoke to him in a dream. So let's check out his story. So first of all, what do we really know about this guy named Joseph, who would be Hmm, I've offended people over the years by the next terms that I've used. I've said foster, foster parent. And and people said, boo, you can't use that term. I've said stepdad, he was was the stepdad of Jesus and people are offended by that. And I've often often thought, how do you wanna describe him? Does it just feel better to say he was the earthly father of Jesus? So what do we know about him? Actually, not much. It's gonna be a really short message. And when I say not much, literally when I was in seminary, uh, like probably my last year of seminary, I had to do a paper, it was a 21-page, 22-page term paper, and I decided that I was going to be the smartest kid in all of seminary in history, and I was going to write a paper on Joseph. And the professor just kind of smiled, and I wondered why he smiled. I went to the library, got all the books that were, had ever been written on Joseph, which amounted to a chapter in one book. And literally, I, I wrote like a couple of pages and I went to the professor. I said, there's just nothing else to write. We just don't know a whole lot about him. He said, you're right. I said, I need to pick somebody else. He said, no, you're in now. So what do we know about him? What do we know about him? Well, we're not even for sure exactly how old he was most theologians most of theologians and if you really do a little study on this it's like we just feel really comfortable thinking that he was probably a teenager maybe 16 or 17 I even heard a guy um use a greek word a greek word that's used in a few minutes I'll show you that word that could mean that he was maybe 20 20 ish and when I say ish like it's really expanded to much older and and we're not really comfortable with that are we that be an older man, in fact, go back and look at art, just look at art, and some of the, depic- the depictions of Joseph, Joseph and the child, and Joseph really is an older man. So we're not exactly sure how old he was, but most, most scholars believe that he was probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 16 or 17. What we do know for sure is that his hometown was Bethlehem in Judea, and we know for sure that he lived in Nazareth in Galilee. And we know this, and this is a really big deal. We know that he was from the royal line of David because the genealogy in Matthew one makes that really, really clear. That's biblical evidence that we know for sure that that nails his, that that nails that he was from the lineage of David. So he's from the lineage of David. That sounds pretty cool, right? Hello? I mean, how many of you would like to say, yeah, yeah, my, my dad was, my great granddad, my great great granddad was a king over in England, many years ago, right? It kind of ups to Annie a little bit. But when you look at that, he's from the lineage of David, but he's a carpenter. And probably because I get to hang out with so many unchurched people, and I know how they think, and they've shared stuff with me over the years. And so I think, like, where did you go wrong? Like, you know, you, you've come from the lineage of David, you know, your great-great-great-great-granddad, whatever. He was a king, and you are a carpenter. And what we also know was he must not have been a very successful carpenter because we have some biblical evidence that says that he was poor. I'd like to think that he's 16, 17, maybe he's poor because he just hasn't had enough time to build his business. Y'all impressed? That's all I got. We know that he was poor because when he and Mary presented Jesus in the temple in Luke chapter two, they actually brought a turtle dove to sacrifice and Jews only did that when they couldn't afford a lamb. And I have biblical evidence for that and that's Leviticus chapter 12 for those of you that need that kind of information. So it's amazing, isn't it? If you look at Joseph, if you look at this man who's gonna be the earthly father of Jesus, the step-parent of Jesus, when you look at this man, there's really nothing special about him. I mean, he's he's not even a pastor for Pete's sake. And you would just think, come on, come on, y'all, Go here with me. You would just think like if God were up in heaven, he was looking down at earth, he would say, I'm going to pick like one of my special boys. Y'all aren't buying this at all, are you? I'm going to pick one of my pastors. And if you know anything about pastors, you know we're the messed up, most messed up group of people you've ever met, right? He's not a pastor. He's not an elder in his church. He's not a Sunday school teacher. He's, uh, we don't know anything that he does. He's not even in the praise band for Pete's sake. I mean, we don't, as far as we know, there's really nothing special about this man named Joseph that would be the earthly father of Jesus. And I guess that's pretty good news for ordinary people like me and you, right? I've never seen myself as being anything very special. And probably I thought that because I really didn't give my life to Jesus inside church, it was outside of church. Nobody in church ever made me feel special or loved. And then when I surrendered to the ministry, when I decided that I would give God my life and do whatever he wanted me to do you know I felt I felt this call to ministry and I never had an older pastor I never had a group of pastors no one ever walked up to me put their arm around me and said son I see something special in you you are going to be something great in the kingdom God's going to use you to do great things nobody ever did that for me in fact probably mostly what I got was criticism so when I look at this story of Joseph I think wow it gives hope to ordinary people like me and you. An ordinary man, an ordinary woman, an ordinary teenager to believe that if God if God could use, if God would choose to use somebody like Joseph, then there's hope for me. So why would God choose him? There's nothing special about him. He's a carpenter. He's a poor carpenter at best. Why would God choose him to be the earthly father of the very son of God? Well, the only place that we have at least a hint of that is in the Bible, as to the wise in the Bible itself. Matthew chapter one, verses 18 and 19. Here's what they say, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. I'm gonna pause here just for a second, Read this slow. I think one of the things, especially if you've been in church for a lot of years, is the temptation is probably to just read too quickly. A story that you're way too familiar with and you think you already know all the answers. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged, betrothed to, engaged to, be married to Joseph. Now that word pledge, it's an interesting word. Um, I'm from Greer, and so basically the way that I would define that, I would say is that it is all the responsibilities of being married without some of the pleasures of being married. Think about it just for a minute. Pleasures. You must be the spiritual crowd, first crowd, anyway. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. Hmm, there we have it, right? He was faithful to the law, yet he didn't want to expose her to public disgrace he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So Joseph was faithful to the law In the King James it says he was a just man, right? In another translation it says that he was a righteous man and that's probably where maybe for you, you think I'm gonna tap out of the story, right? You're thinking he was poor, he wasn't anything special, he wasn't anything special on the social ladder, he hasn't really become anybody famous in his culture, but he was a righteous man. Wow, that means that for most of us, we try to wrap our brain around that and we, when we hear the word righteous, righteous, we interpret that to mean that he was perfect in every way. That's not what that means actually. In fact, I looked up the word just or righteous and the word according to scholars does not imply sinless perfection. Let me let that sit there just for a second. It does not imply sinless perfection, but refers to one who is law-abiding, upright in character. And I love love this next part. I probably should have put this up on the screen. And generally obedient. (laughs) I guess it's just me. I love that. I think it's awesome. He's like generally obedient. You all with me? I can't eat all that in a bag of chips, but if you just kind of look, generally speaking, he was obedient and faithful to God's commands. In other words, he's a good man, but he's not perfect. And then here's the really cool thing. I read that this kind of righteousness is righteousness not out of fear or a sense of duty. Watch this. It was righteousness out of a genuine love for God. Oh my gosh. Come on, folks, are you you with me? Y'all know the difference between the two. You know, what the, you know what it's like to be obedient and to be obedient because you are afraid. So you keep the law and you keep the law because you're afraid if you, if you don't do everything the law says that if you're disobedient that God won't bless you, but not just that God won't bless you, but that he'll zap you with the bolt of lightning if you don't do everything just like you're supposed to, that you really serve God out of fear, not out of a sense of love. In other words, Joseph wasn't just living by the law for the law's sake. I think that's awesome. He had a relationship with God that went deeper than rules and laws. His life, I'm gonna use a word and probably if you went to the internet, if you did a research, you would probably find that most messages that deal with his life, most people would probably conclude that he was, this word, he was obedient why did, why did God pick him? Because he was obedient, and he was obedient, absolutely. But there's more to it than that for me. So much more to it than that for me. His heart is marked. His heart is marked by compassion and mercy and grace. Oh, hello. Did y'all get that at all? Let that sink in just for a second. The Bible says that he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. At this point in the story, he's not really sure about this being pregnant with God's child story thing that he's hearing. But somehow, somehow, he's able to see Mary through the eyes of God and, he, and he feel, what he feels is compassion. In other words, when he looks at Mary, what he sees is Mary is an image bearer. There was a a devotion that I've been doing and I've been bringing a few people along with me on this devotion. And one of the things that this guy says is that everyone that you look at, see them as being an image bearer. And what Joseph was able to do, he had compassion because he saw someone that was made literally in the image of God. And I gotta be honest, that's hard for me to wrap my brain around. This is where it's difficult. It's difficult for those of us that have been in church for a long time to put ourselves in his shoes because we know the end of the story. We know what's gonna happen. And sometimes we just read over it. Try to just for a minute to put yourself in his shoes. You've just been engaged to a woman that you believe to be. You believe to be. You are convinced that she is pure and she's a faithful woman. And why are you convinced of that? I'll tell you why, because you've watched her grow up you've watched her go to church, you've watched her go to school, and you've concluded that she's no different at church, she's no different at school, you've watched her grow up in the neighborhood, and what you've noticed about her is that she's different than than any of the other teenagers, she's different, somehow she's her, something different marks her life. It's not just that she's following the law for the law's sake so that she can pat herself on the back and, and puff herself up with pride to think I am obedient, but it goes beyond that. Somehow, this girl that I have fallen in love with loves God. And there's no doubt in your mind that she's the real deal. And then she goes away to visit her cousin and three months later, she comes back pregnant. She's pregnant, and she says, hey, no big deal. God's the father. <laughs> and it's not, it's not like she could say, hey, you know, God's the father. You know, kind of like, you know, my cousin, I got a first cousin. And, like, she got pregnant, and God was the father. And remember the neighbor, remember Sally, three doors down? You know, she got pregnant, and ha! <laughs> Like that, like they were pregnant by the Holy Spirit. I'm pregnant by this. This has never happened before in human history. So what are you gonna do? There's this next sentence in my notes and I changed the word literally out of the commentary. It said this, Jewish law typically, in the commentaries it, say, it says this, it, say, it uses the word required required a man to divorce an adulterous wife and he could have had her stoned to death. I changed the word required and I said allowed. And why did I say allowed? Because it didn't matter what what the law said, he had a choice, you with me? He had a choice. The expectation of everybody in the neighborhood, the expectation of everybody at church would have been for him to publicly disgrace her because if she goes down, he goes down with her. If her reputation is destroyed, his reputation is destroyed as well. And so he had worked hard, he had been faithful to God and now his neck is on the line. And everybody would have expected for him to go public and have her stoned. Or second, he could get a private divorce by giving her papers in the presence of two witnesses. So how would you have responded? I know it's tough. How would you have responded? I think that any man under the circumstance might respond with shock. I mean, you gotta be shocked. You've gotta doubt yourself. You've gotta think, did you live, were you living a lie the whole time? Were you faking this? You didn't look like you were faking this. In fact, of all the people that I've, I've been in contact with, of all the girls that I've known, you're the, you look like the real deal to me. How can this possibly, how can this possibly be? So we read the story every year knowing how the story ends, but Joseph didn't have that handy little piece of information. So we're thinking, Joseph, dude, you've been, of all the men in the world, God chose you to be the stepfather, to the king of kings, the stepfather, to his very own son, you are the man. He doesn't know that. At this point in the story, all he knew that is Fiance had been away for three months and comes home pregnant claiming that God's the Father. Wow. I don't care how close you are to Jesus. That's tough. He had to be hurt, right? He had to be hurt. I mean, he's got to think, really? I've tried to live my life for God, out of love for God, with the heart of God. And I thought, I, I, I prayed about it. I saw God's wisdom, I saw God's will, and I believe that God led me to this special girl. And it appears as though she's cheating on me. There had to be some hurt. And he must have felt anger. He must have felt betrayed. His manly pride, maybe I should have changed that sentence to say, my manly pride would have made me want to punish somebody. Somebody needs to pay the price. I've been wronged. And no one, absolutely no one, remember, the law required, according to the scholars. The law allowed for him to divorce her. The law allowed for him to have her stoned to death, but he didn't, he didn't. His relationship with God, I can't say this enough, his relationship with God produces compassion for a woman who has appeared to be unfaithful. I don't know exactly how he did it. It's a crazy story. But somehow he looks at this woman who, by all appearances, has betrayed him, and what he feels is compassion. How do you feel compassion for someone that, quite honestly, looks like they've betrayed you? So he decides that he's going to divorce her privately. It's interesting if you do a little study on that, as there was a diary there with a letter, That would have went along with, with uh, every young girl that was to be married. I always thought that was kind of funny. I got to pay somebody to marry my my daughter. That just sounds awful, doesn't it? Here's the thing: if he did it privately, then he gave the money back. He says, "I'm going to do it privately. I want to spare any more pain than necessary." And that certainly sounds like a righteous thing to do, but I just wonder how many men would have done that. But an angel appears to him in a dream. Whew, awesome. Now we're talking, things are about to make sense. God's gonna speak, he's gonna speak through an angel, but nevertheless, it's gonna be, he's gonna be speaking for God. He's gonna give Joseph a word from God. Here we go. Verse 20, as he considered this, as he considered his options, to say, by the law, I mean, I can have her stoned. I could do this publicly. I could disgrace her publicly. I would disgrace her family. Or, or I can do it privately, get a couple of witnesses, give the money back, and at least do everything I can to spare her, her reputation. He's considering all his options, and then an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. How did he appear? I just think in a dream is a big deal. Different culture, different time, I get that. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit and she will have a son and you're to name him Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. That's what I'm talking about. That's what everybody wants. God to show up and God to speak. And, and he gets an angel. Like an angel shows up and says, on behalf of God, I'm just, I'm just here to give you some good news. However, it's in a dream. I dream. I dream every night. How about y'all? Anybody else dream? I dream all night every night. I don't know what I dream. It's weird stuff. Sometimes I wake up, scratch my head and go, what? Where did that come from? I would just have to think, I know it's a different culture. I get that. Dreams meant a lot. There was a lot to interpreting dreams. But wow, I mean, you have to wake up the next morning and go, I mean, like, was that really God? Or was that just pizza? You know? <laughs> how, how do I know for sure this is real? Wait a minute. What he's telling me, it's, it's, it's too much to take in. Surely he had to have doubts. i tell you what's interesting to me. I've been doing this a long time. I've been, I've been studying his life for a long time. Started way back in seminary before, you know, I knew how to study. I learned how to study in seminary, and they taught me a lot. And I've been looking at the life of Joseph. i tell you what's interesting to me. What's interesting to me is that we don't have one single recorded word from Joseph nothing. Mary, Mary gets some words. She's got a beautiful prayer. It's awesome. It's a song. We call it a song. It's beautiful. It's awesome. Joseph's, Joseph gets nothing. Not, not one word. Not like, wow. You would think that would at least be there, right? An angel shows up. Hey, he would say, wow, <laughs> something. You're kidding me. I mean, something you would think there would be something maybe to reflect how he felt. We don't know how he felt. We have no indication at all. We don't know what his feelings were. We don't know what his doubts were. He never speaks a word. All we have is what he did. In verse 24. When Joseph woke up, it's simple, right? He did what the angel commanded. He just, he just did what he was told to do. And he took Mary his wife. I guess action really does speak louder than words. He never speaks words. A word. Here's what I know. Obedience is a big deal. I'm not trying to come off like I think I know more than anybody else. I certainly do not. And I question myself honestly. As I I dig into this, as I look into this, I say, Holy Spirit, help me to understand and this is what became crystal clear for me. I mean God spoke to me last week through Johnson's message. It was awesome. It was so good I walked out. <laughs> he really did speak. During the first service, I went out and I jotted down some stuff, and then I started to do some study. And here's, here's what I know for sure. I know the relationship with God produces trust. That's what I know. Let that sink in just for a second. When I'm in a circumstance and I can't figure out what in the world is going on, when I'm in a circumstance that, that, that really, I mean, over my head, when things don't look good, when I wonder where God is, when I question God in the middle of all of that, what I know for sure is that a relationship with God will produce trust. I'll tell you what else I know. Religion produces bitterness. Religion says, follow these rules and it'll produce these results. Follow these rules. Read this verse of scripture, take three pinches of salt, throw it over your right shoulder, click your heels three times. And God, God will bless you, he has to. God will remain true to his word. Can I hear an amen? amen. Y'all are worried, y'all, you think, I don't know if I'm in with you or not. Absolutely, but here's my point when the only thing you care about is religion and a blessing, you're gonna be shocked when your system doesn't work. You'll be angry. A relationship with God produces trust, and then maybe I should have said it this way, and trust produces fruit. It's all about the relationship why did god pick joseph because he was a righteous man eh, he was a pretty good guy but he wasn't perfect and when you get to break that down when you look at the greek when you really understand the meaning you go well so like i know he had a good heart he was a righteous man but it couldn't have been that he was good enough that wasn't it So when God looked down on earth and said, I am gotta find somebody, what kind of man was he looking for? He was looking for somebody that would have his heart. He was looking for somebody that would be able to reflect his heart. And he said, you know what, Joseph is that kind of man. And even even in a circumstance when he's going, wow, this is too much to take in. Like, I'm gonna marry this girl and she says she's pregnant and God is the father, Wow, when I can't comprehend that, the thing that I know is not that I'm trusting her, but I'm trusting God. I'm trusting that God would not lead me astray. God would not lie to me. God has led me here. And what I know is that I can, I, God can say I can trust him with her. I can trust him to be the earthly father of my child. I think that's huge. What man would be so Compassionate. What man would be so merciful? God had to find a man with his heart. God had to find a man that he could trust. God had to find a man who could handle a situation beyond his understanding. Joseph was such a man. So let me ask you this obvious question. Do you have a relationship with God? Through Jesus Christ, his son. Hang on. Do you have a relationship with him? I'm not. I'm going to ask you if you're a member of the local church. Do you have a relationship with him? I'm not asking you how good you are. And if you try to keep the top ten, that's not what I'm asking you. I'm not asking you how good you are. I'm asking you, do you have a relationship with Jesus? And if you say you do, then it's simple. I'm not asking you how good you are. I'm asking you, what does that relationship produce? What does it produce? Are you loving others? Are you compassionate with others? Are you merciful? Are you kind? Jesus said, I'll tell you how you'll know my kids. You know how you'll know my kids? Because they'll be a reflection of me. They'll, They'll represent me really well. And they will love people that nobody else loves. They will go into places that nobody else will go. They will reach down to grab the hand of, some, of people that nobody else would even touch. That is how you'll know my kids. It's not how much they know. It's not how many verses they can quote. You'll know my kids by the love that they have, the compassion that they have, the mercy that they have, the grace that they have. So how you doing? Is it a dose of religion? Or is it a relationship that produces a beautiful thing called love? Maybe you're here this morning, you're not a follower of Jesus, but you've heard God speak this morning. And I don't always understand how that happens. I tell people I love to do what I do, and if you ask me why, I would tell you that I love to do what I do because every week I get to be a part of a miracle. I don't think I'm great at what I do. I don't think I'm very good at what I do, quite honestly. Some weeks I'll walk away and go, like I wouldn't come back if I were you. (laughs) I go, I don't know what I said. I wonder how y'all know what I said. I've never thought that I was good at what I do, but here's the beautiful part of that, is that every, every week for, I can't tell you how many years that I've stood on a stage somewhere and presented the gospel, what I can tell you is that people get saved. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. And I stand back in more awe than anybody, and I go, how does he do that? And he goes, it's because I'm me. And I go, you're right, it is. And I get to be a part of a miracle. See, what I know this morning, I don't know how God speaks, I know why he speaks. I don't know how God takes the broken words of a guy like me and how he uses them to teach, to touch, to bring change to people. I just know why he does it. And he does it because he's crazy about you. He's crazy about you. And what he wants is a relationship with you. That's what he wants. He wants with you what he had with Joseph. A relationship. He says, I want you to trust me. Just trust me, just walk with me. The great thing about the story of Jesus is that God proved his love through the life of Jesus. Jesus came to earth with one purpose and that one purpose was to ultimately go to the cross and on the cross to give his life to be beat almost to death. Somehow survive this gruesome thing called uh, the scourging. And then to be put on a Roman cross, nails driven into his body and him to hang between heaven and earth. And he said, this this is why I came. I came to die, to shed my blood. And shedding my blood, I'm paying the penalty for your sin. And you're guilty. I'm I'm never, Jesus was perfect. He was never guilty. But I'm I'm gonna give my life pay the penalty for your sin just because I want to be in a relationship with you. I'm crazy about you. Can you believe that? It's awesome. On the third day, he was raised from the dead. Is that essential? Pretty much. Pretty much. If if he's still dead, it's an awesome story, but it wouldn't help us a lick, would it? It wouldn't. He's alive. And what he longs for is a relationship with you he says I've paid the price the thing that stands between me and you is just sin and I took care of that on the cross if you're here this morning you're not a follower of Jesus and you'd like to be like why would you say no see I think I have the easiest job in the world I cannot fathom why anybody wouldn't want the love of Jesus I can't imagine why anybody wouldn't want to be in a relationship with that kind of God so, if you say, Yeah, how do I do it? It's easy, it's simple. Every head's bowed and every eye's closed. No one's looking around. It's for you to be willing to fully surrender your life to Him. That's what it's about. It's believing the right stuff. Absolutely. Jesus is God's Son. Then He lived a sinless life and on the cross He died to pay the penalty for sin. Absolutely. These, it was raised on the third day. Absolutely. That's essential. But it's more to it than that. It's more than just believing the right stuff. It's a willingness on your part to fully surrender your life to Him. To say, Wow, God, I want to enter into a relationship with you. I want to spend the rest of my life following you. If that's you. You're not a follower, but you'd like to be. Maybe you'd pray a prayer, something like this quietly, silently, right there in your seat. <laughs> Listen, what you can start off as God right now. I just feel your presence. Wow. So you've been wanting God to show up and speak to you, and he's doing that right now. God, the creator of the universe, is speaking to you. He's telling you that he loves you. He's asking for your life. So go ahead, tell him. Tell him you believe in him. Then ask him to forgive you of all your sins. The best of your ability. Say, right now, I just want to fully surrender my life to you, God. That's what what I want to do. I want a relationship with you. Lord, you are awesome. Lord, have mercy. The longer I know you, the sweeter. My relationship with you is. My relationship with you. Walking with you. Talking with you. Allowing you to speak to me. And you do. You don't always tell me stuff I want to hear. But you always speak. And you never, ever, ever fail tell me that you love me wow I am a sinner who is in desperate need of a savior deserving nothing and you found me to tell you that we love you just doesn't seem to be enough but Lord we do grateful for the relationship and it's in your sweet name that we pray